his amazing friends, Iceman and... In the great hall of the Justice League, there are assembled the world's four greatest heroes, created from the cosmic legends of the universe. The Justice League of America, the combined might and power of the Man of Steel and the Cosmic Crusader, the Winged Avenger and the King of the Sea, the Tiny Titan and the Scarlet Streak, all working together for good against evil as the Justice League of America. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Third Degree Burn. Uh, I am Tim Elliott and I've got the full crew today and we are doing something a little different. We are going to be covering, well, I'm going to let Brian explain because this is his brainchild and he's doing most of the heavy lifting. So Brian, what are we going to be covering today? Well, as, as you know, we reported back in December and it's, you know, made its rounds, um, the, the great George Perez is uh, suffering from uh, pancreatic cancer, and it's such a stage and state that uh, he is not going to do any type of uh, chemo or uh, radiation therapy or anything like that to, to fight it at this point. Uh, probably has less than a year to live. He's gone on to a form of hospice care, but he's still doing what he can to get out and see the fans whenever possible. Um, he's had a couple hospital stays with close calls for things that have happened as a result of all this, but he's still trying to, uh, you know, reach out to his fans cause he, you know, they mean as much to him as he means to them. Uh, in, in that vein, I, you know, I thought that it was important that this year we, you know, cover some of George's books, uh, things from, you know, that his career that, you know, means something to us. And as, as a result, I was sitting there looking back on it, and I decided that I wanted to cover uh, these uh, issues of Justice League America that he did back in 1980, I think. And, uh, you know, kind of give you an idea of some things that mean a lot to, in this case, to me. Um, this, uh, the, the books that we're doing is Justice League of America 192 and 193. And it is you know, basically going to give you the background, origin, and we'll say true origin of the red tornado, because as you know, in comics, nothing is ever what it seems and everything, you know, is wrong. So a little bit other background to put into that is the fact that, you know, I mean, we've been doing third degree burn here now for six years and it may make it seem like, you know, John Byrne is our favorite artist bar none. And I just can't say that because, you know, that, at the time that I discovered Byrne, I'd also discovered George Perez, who'd been working on the Avengers. And, you know, uh, a bunch, uh, he started Teen Titans here also in 1980, uh, right when he started uh, working at DC, you know, because he did um, the uh, Teen Titans, he did Justice League, and he did uh, Firestorm backups in the Flash comic books when uh, DC was doing those um, extra eight page stories. Uh, there would be the Firestorm backups. And unfortunately, with the, the the Firestorm backups, they actually worked into a regular storyline within the Flash with the Atomic Skull that was really, really good. You get to see a what we'll call a drunk Firestorm. Um, and so George, you know, uh, you know, did a lot of great things at both companies that, of course, led into the JLA Avengers 
that uh, they tried to do back then. And George had done several pages. Unfortunately, the editors couldn't come together. That fell apart. And uh, we do see we we can find the other pages out there on the net and that wonderful uh, completed volume that I don't remember the name of the guy that did that. But uh, there's a completed volume of that version of JLA Avengers. And, of course, with all that's going on, we've uh, found that uh, they're going to reprint the the 2000 series of JLA Avengers that George David Kurt Busiek. Um, but they're only going to be printing 7,000 copies. And as I understand it, the proceeds are going to the um, Comic Creators Fund that helps people like Bill Mantlow and others that uh, did not uh, you know, have good uh, medical plans or insurance or things to help them in their later years. So uh, just putting all that aside, I just want to ask you guys, though, What's, what was your experience with George Perez in the beginning? How did you come to know him? We've asked you your John Byrne origin. What's your George Perez origin? Excuse me, <clears throat> George Perez origin. Tim? Well, I, 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 I talked about this on the show that I had little to no experience with Perez. It's, he's one of those artists that if you're in collecting comics, you hear of him. It's like if you never read a John Byrne book, you would know who John Byrne is. Uh, I think probably the first thing I might have was aware that he was drawing was uh, Infinity um, Infinity Gauntlet. And I might have read a few of his stuff, but I wasn't reading in DC. Only DC I was reading at the time was Burns Superman. Uh, and I'd read some Green Lantern. So I really had no experience with his work until I've read a little bit here and there. And we've done some of the stuff. So this is the first JLA stuff I've read of his. Hmm. So I'm a nuke. I'm a newbie. Well, how about you, John? So I, Perez has always been part of my comic reading uh, experience since. Uh, so I started reading comics in '76. So George Perez was uh, on several books at the time uh, over on Marvel, and so I saw his. And I don't know what book was the first one. I mean, you had a spinner rack. You picked books up with cool covers. He, uh, back then, I didn't pay attention to artists until maybe a year later when I started noticing, oh, I have this. I like this. I like this. I, I don't like this guy so much. But if so it was probably either Avengers, Fantastic Four, or uh, Logan's Run. Mm. It was one of the first uh, places where I took notice of him. But definitely it was Avengers or Fantastic Four that his he was working on. And, uh, man, just... I love those books, and I'm sure it was a big part of it was because of the artwork was so so clean and fun to read and interesting. So that's that's how. And ever since then, you know, I'm, I'm not so much a fan of his 2000s plus style. I like his early work better, much like I like Burns' early work better. To me, I, I think it's. I know they all hate it, and they think, oh, you know, I. I grew, I changed, and, and they did. Um, but I, I think, uh, for me, I like the cleaner lines and the, um, it seems like they tried to put way more detail than they even did back in their beginning of their career. How's that um, possible? I mean, George was always detailed. I mean, he had as much argle-bargle as Byrne uh, in his backgrounds, especially when you look at Teen Titans and all that he did with Tara. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was just... It's just a style preference. I, I like his. I like the stuff up until about the, the end of, uh, uh, well, into the mid '90s, and then it 
it shifted his style. You don't like you don't like Heroes Reborn, the the Avengers work that he did with Kurt Busiek then, or even that 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 JLA Avengers series that they did together. I thought that was beautiful, beautiful Perez art. But it also yeah, seemed I, like I, he was throwing back to his older style. Brian, I'm not saying I don't like it. I'm saying I prefer no, okay, his I, early I, stuff. <laughs> you just prefer you just prefer his, his older stuff. Like like a lot of people would say, his older stuff was better. <laughs> Well, I, I just, I'm not saying it's better. I'm just saying that I like the style. Um, it, it, it edges out his more recent stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always loved his work, and uh, I think he's always done a great job. So, um, yeah, it's just that, that's how I got to know him. So he's always been, his work has always, like Byrne, I, um, if Perez was uh, on, the, on the book, um, more than likely I would just pick it up because uh, he was on the book. Um, whether I liked it or not, I would want to see, hey, you know, this might be interesting. And I think, um, I think, Tim, you you or Brian have both mentioned it sometimes. Sometimes uh, art can definitely make a bad story better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing that I always heard about Perez was that he could draw, you know, a thousand characters on a page. That was his thing. That he was very detailed and he could fill a page with with many, many, many characters, and that was his kind of his shtick. So oh, and that was, that was the thing about him is he enjoyed drawing group books, which made him far more, um, um, I don't know, uh, interested by the companies because, you know, when you have all these group books and people don't want to draw all the characters, uh, and you I, find an artist that does like to draw a lot of characters like Perez, yeah. uh, then you're like, hey, I want this guy. <laughs> I want this artist on my book a- because they can do it. I found a quote from him on this and he says, you know, it says like, I really worked hard on trying to give the characters a certain look. When I was working on the Avengers, I had Hank Pym, Steve Rogers and Clint Barton. And my job was if I shave their heads in that case, they're all three blonde men. You should be able to tell without a mask who they are. And that right there, you know, that's, that's the funny thing because that's the one thing that we've commented on in the past with John Byrne is that, you know, they all do have a tendency to look alike, especially those three. And here's George saying, you know, he's got to work very hard. He's made it his mission to differentiate them in those, you know, larger shots. So I thought that was interesting. Well, let me ask the rest of you guys for uh, for this. I wonder if this is maybe why Perez never stuck with me. I think maybe because I didn't read enough of his, th- his uh, work. But to me, he doesn't have as distinctive style in his artwork as, say, Byrne, or obviously somebody like Kirby or Art Adams or Walt Simonson that I could pick it out out of a group. It looks a little more kind of house standard. Now his strength may come from, and I've read this, that his panel layouts are great. And I'll agree on this. The panel layouts are pretty good. His storytelling is top notch, but I'm just wondering if his figure drawing and design are a little more house style. So I wasn't able to pick it out of all the other stuff that was out there. Well, I think that's I would, a disservice to Perez because yeah. he essentially created a house style for DC. Um, before we get too far down the track, so I, I uh, like Tim, came to know of Perez because of uh, Infinity Gauntlet, and I liked um, those issues, and they were coming out. And, of course, my local comic book shop said, well, you know, you've got to read, you know, uh, Crisis. Uh, have you read Crisis on Infinite Earths? And, of course, that was way before, you know, I was regularly getting comics. And I said, no, 
And, you know, the, again, this is early 90s, so the books weren't expensive. They were within my comic buying budget uh, and uh, picked up that whole run and got to read it all at the same time. It wasn't like, like you guys having to wait, you know, the, for the next issue to come out. I, I got to binge read the whole thing. And that kind of sent me down the rabbit hole of, of uh, Perez with uh, uh, my comic shop, of course. And, you know, and I finished that and came back, you know, two weeks later, it was well, if you like that, then you should read, you know, the Judas contract. Oh yeah. You know, and, you know, I read that. And so, you know, Perez has been in, in my orbit of comic artists that I, I really, really like, um, their style. Uh, but you know, Perez is one of those figures to me, like a Jim Lee, where there's such a huge presence at a publisher, you know, they're, uh, their talent is such a, a such a high caliber that everybody kind of follows what they're doing. Um, you know, you saw that with Jim Lee when he basically took over Marvel for a while, and, and folks tried to emulate his style. Um, you know, Neil Adams, of course, with Batman in the in the seventies. Um, but yeah, I think he he's he's in that. You know, if there was a special Hall of Justice for amazing, super versatile artists. Uh, he's in that group, and I think that's a that's a rarity. You know that, um, you know Brian, you you were ribbing John about. Well, didn't you like you know JLA Avengers? Yeah. And, and you know it it there's very few artists that could have drawn that and made everybody look the way you expected them to look. You know that that is a testament to his his caliber that he's that good that he could draw you know all these Marvel characters and all these DC characters and you know you didn't even bat an eye at it. Yeah, true, true. He, I, he just, he was definitely, he is definitely one of those guys that just was able to do such detail. And then, you know, kind of going against what you said, I find his style to be very distinctive. Is you know, I see a cover or whatever, and I'm like, oh, hey, that's Joe, that's Perez, you know. I, I think I can pick it up later, Perez, but looking at mm -hmm. these, it doesn't look as distinctive. And the um, the inks definitely is John Beatty, and I think it's early in John Beatty's career. I wasn't necessarily enamored of his his early inks, um, you know, on that. But we'll we'll get into that as we look at the art uh, uh, later. Um, Kirk, how about you? Well, as Tim said, uh, not as familiar with with the DC side of things, um, but I was around when the Judas Contract came out, and I think although I wasn't reading. Um, Teen Titans, you heard about him, you were aware of them, and I think that's where I first uh, was aware of him. He was, you know, the, the DC version of John Byrne, I think. Very prolific, very highly regarded, do uh, lots of different characters, um, have a lot of respect for him, but I didn't follow him, uh, and I guess he did a run on the Avengers that dropped in the period when I was not buying comics, so you know, I know he was on the FF. I know he was on the Avengers. I just haven't got a really good grasp of what issues those were. So, right from '74 to 1980, he was exclusively at Marvel. You know, he he even was in like the very first issue of uh, the very first story of not story, but uh, same issue as uh, of Astonishing Tales that gave us the origin of Deathlock. That he did a backup story in there. And he did books like Deadly Hands of Kung Fu, Power Man, Inhumans. And then uh, in the mid, like, 75 on till about 1980, he was Avengers, Fantastic Four, 
uh, and uh, some Marvel two and ones. Mar- um, let me see, Marvel team up. Logan's run, obviously. Uh, you know, he he was revolving around those same books that John Byrne was revol- revolving around, and so you you kind of got this back and forth. Okay, this month is Perez. This month is Byrne. And it was it was really really cool. And then you know, you get the other fill-in issues from other artists that just weren't as dynamic as these two. Um, and you know the thing is, is that you know Perez wanted to work on Justice League. That was like going to be his the feather in his cap. And uh, Dick Dillon had been like the perennial artist on there. It's like you know Kurt Swan was to Superman. Dick Dillon was to Justice League. And, you know, he'd, uh, you know, told the the editors at DC, you know, if you ever need someone to do like a fill-in book or, or something, I'd love to do it. And it just so happened right at that time, Dick Dillon suffered a heart attack and died uh, right at the beginning of the Crisis on New Genesis trilogy, which was um, what, uh, you know, I think introduced a lot of new readers to Darkseid and, uh, you know, the whole uh, New Genesis apocalypse uh, storylines, so the Jack Kirby's Fourth World. Uh, for me, that was you know my introduction to it, uh, and then followed by the Legion of Superheroes, which Keith Giffen and Paul Levitz had uh, masterminded. But uh, you know, so George worked on Justice League for a number of issues, and it was funny because he got to work on Avengers 200, and then he got to work on Justice League 200, and um, both were treated as large size issues. The Justice League 200, though brought in a, a lot of different um, artists and writers to come in to do various chapters. But George got to do the the, the, the interlinking uh, story that kept uh, that whole thing going through because George was at that point the Justice League artist uh, and just, you know, doing really, really good. And of course, uh, around that time is he was uh, doing Teen Titans, which, as I understand it first, he didn't want to do. He rather would have done Justice League all along. But then with Dick Dillon in there, you know, he had to stick with Justice League I and mean, with uh, Teen Titans. And he started growing more and more um, enamored of the characters so that, you know, Teen Titans is probably his, you know, his, that's his X-Men. Well, you know, when you compare it to, to John Byrne. And I just put everybody to sleep, didn't I? No, I, well, I think that's what he's known for. When you say his name, yeah. Yeah. obviously Teen you can Titans say that again. is one the, of them. Because he's the X Men and Teen Titan in the 1980s, they were comics. You know, if and, you didn't love one, you loved the other, and fans were pointing to the other side, saying, "You've got to try this." So, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, do we want to get into the start getting into the book? Sure. Okay, <clears throat> the first one we're going to cover: Justice League of America 192. Of course, published by DC Comics. The cover date of July 1981. The on-sale date was April 9th, 1981. It had a cover price of 50 cents and a page count of 32. Now, the interesting thing in this is that with the page count of 32, you'd think there'd be 10 pages of ads. No, this had 25 pages of story rather than the obligatory 22. And so uh, you get a little bit, you know, extra from these uh, at this point in time. And now the price point, as I understand it, if you look at the, the, the issues, I think they've been on 50 cents for about a year at that point. And so it, it didn't look like it was going to be changing anytime soon. I'm taking a look just to be safe. It was still saying all new with the price point of 50 cents. So... 
But that was a significant jump because I think they jumped from 40 cents to 50 cents. All right, so the title of the story is Quest for Genesis. Uh, it is written by Jerry Conway, penciled by George Perez, inked by John Beatty, lettered by Ben Oda, colored by Carl Gafford, and edited by Len Wein. Uh, this is reprinted in Justice League of America by George Perez, volume one hardcover, came out in 2009, and... The synopsis goes something like this. <clears throat> Superman chairs the regular monthly meeting of the JLA, during which Wonder Woman explains the United Nations' concern with the JLA's membership increase from their charter stated 10 to 14 in recent months. The discussion is interrupted by the appearance of Red Tornado, who attempts to kill them for his master. He succeeds in injuring Batman, but when his efforts are thwarted, he explodes, injuring Flash. While the injured heroes are taken to the infirmary, Green Lantern scans the android's remains and verifies it was a real red tornado. However, a second red tornado appears and attacks again, this time exposing Superman to kryptonite. But Flash manages to push the android into the airlock, blowing him into space where he also explodes. The explosion is observed by a high-powered telescope by T.O. Morrow, Thomas Oscar Morrow, outside his Colorado headquarters. The supercomputer's analysis of the android's failure suggests a design flaw, which appears contradictory with the original Red Tornado's repeated successes. Thus, Morrow wants to find the original and analyze them. He transports himself to New York City and enacts a program which forces Red Tornado to come to him. Morrow takes him to an abandoned restaurant. While he eats, he explains his history to him. Morrow was inspired by his name to devote himself to the study of the future. After years of work, he invented a device which he could view the world 100 years into the future. Inspired, he developed a fourth-dimensional grapple beam, which allowed him to transport future technology to him. One of those inventions he stole was a supercomputer, which could predict the future. Saying future an awful lot here. The computer advised him to use a humanzatron to create the Red Tornado and destroy the Justice Society of America on Earth 2. The attempt failed when Red Tornado asserted his own independence, something the computer did not permit, predict, and Morrow went to prison. He eventually escaped and sought refuge on one of the Queen Bee's hidden headquarters. Soon thereafter, a damaged Red Tornado landed there as well, and Morrow repaired and reprogrammed the android to destroy the Justice League of America due to another prediction by the computer. This one stating that in 28 days, either the JLA would be destroyed or Morrow would die. When a JLA won and the 28 days ended, Morrow appeared to fade away. Morrow learned that the computer, unable to accept that its prediction of Morrow's death was incorrect, forced it to happen by remotely controlling other future technology. However, because of faulty programming in binary code, <laughs> Morrow was accidentally sliced into two beings and shunted into alternate dimensions. The original Morrow was transported. Yeah, ouch. The original Morrow was transported to an alien planet, which eventually Morrow discovered he could control mentally with the help from a power scepter he found there. He managed to lure three heroes to his world, but ultimately was defeated and returned to Earth in imprisonment. The mutated Morrow, which called himself Future Man, discovered his mutation to be killing him and attempted to save his life by switching minds with Red Tornado, which failed and resulted in Future Man's death. This was the last time Red Tornado had seen him. When the Mar original Morrow heard of the existence and death of Future Man, he escaped prison, returned to his supercomputer, and examined it until he had learned the truth 
of what had occurred. He then attempted to build two additional red tornadoes and unleash them on the JLA with poor results. His analysis led him to believe that the original design for red tornado was flawed. However, if that is true, how could he explain the first red tornado's success? He deduced that some outside force interfered and he summoned red tornado to him for dissection and analysis. Meanwhile, the JLA had come to Kathy Sutton's apartment where the uh, real red tornado was. Meanwhile. <laughs> meanwhile. Yeah, okay. And followed him to an, the abandoned restaurant. So, you know, the, what this story does is it takes a lot of really messed up continuity and tries to Blow it fix up. it. Make it more messed it, up. Fix it. Yeah, <laughs> streamline it and fix it and take you somewhere, you know, to take you in a direction that uh, that you can follow. And I, I, I'm glad that it did that because all that was so just nuts and convoluted. But the imagery now it's it not beautiful. <laughs> Well, come on! It's forty years later. What do you want? Perfection. Well, as a kid, I was I was entranced by this. Again, this is one of those books I just read over and over. This one and the one following. I just get a kick out of the old names, you know, because you know they just thought about it for like thirty seconds, and they're like, "What are we gonna call this guy? Future Man." Well, come this on, they, from the they, future. Now, that, well, I first that, saw the, that, I thought it was Hector Hammond with the big head, but yeah. That was a storyline that was in the world's finest comics. And world, world's finest, of course, was a Superman-Batman team-up book, but it had multiple um, solo stories, you know, in the background. You usually you, you can get Robin stories, Supergirl stories, and they they had a Red Tornado uh, storyline going on in there uh, monthly or bi-monthly, I think it actually was. And so that came from that. Now the other story with. Uh, the original Morrow was in Super Teen Family. And I've never seen those books. I've never had a copy or anything. So well, I have no idea how those stories were. Yeah, they show up every once in a while, you know, at um, yard oh, sale type stuff. You know, they're yeah. they're square bound. Um, or I should say they're, they've got the, the hard edge to them and they're glued. Hmm. I always thought Tornado was kind of the, uh, or... Ready. I hate that throughout this book. They keep calling him yeah. Ready. Yeah. Um, that he was kind of the sad sack of the JLA. That he was always, <laughs> he was always kind of getting. Every time he comes across, and every time he's, you know, when he's in a fight, he's getting destroyed or blown apart, or or they're having to, uh, you know, put him back together. So that he's like the Kenny. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The crew. Exactly. <laughs> oh hilarious. no! Red Tornado's dead again. <laughs> anyway. Um... <laughs> Well, Brian, let me ask you this, because I, I tried to do a little research on this and I couldn't find much, so maybe you did. That the obvious uh, comparison between Red Tornado and Vision, mm-hmm. and from what I could find, they came out the same month, same year. So is this kind of a Swamp Thing, Man Thing kind of uh, situation where who came up with him first and the other company copied it? Well, I mean, you've got, you know, Jerry Conway, Len Wein, you know, there in the mix, at both companies. Yeah. And and so, I mean, I didn't find anything that said that that was, that was it. But you, you can't deny that there are so many similarities. I mean, I when I read these books, I hear the same voice for the vision that I hear for Ed Tornado. Yeah. I mean, they both get involved with a human woman and kind of have a, a kind of a family situation where he's with um, 
oh, I can't remember the woman's name, but the, and the adopted daughter, um, they both Treya. turn Treya. Against, yeah, they yeah. both turn against their masters and kind of have an independent. Um, they kind of break with their programming and become sentient, to, to, as you might say, and um, more than my programming. That's right. <laughs> Uh, well, I think I, Division has a little more dignity than Red Tornado does. It, it's funny because it, it made me think of uh, uh, the next Star Trek: The Next Generation episode, Brothers, where Soon yeah. you know recalls Data, and so Data has to go see him, and, and then Lore shows up too. That's a good. So, yeah, I made that, didn't make that connection, but that's that's a that's a good similarity. Mm-hmm. And I oh sorry, David. Uh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I, just from looking up Red Tornado, did anybody watch the, I guess he showed up on Supergirl? Yeah, the, the first season of Supergirl, he was just a automaton android, no real intelligence or anything, if I recall properly. And he didn't get destroyed, he just got... Um, turned off. Turned turned off and put away, if I remember right. But and the then, I, don't, I don't recall... Back in your box. Had. Back in your box. <laughs> Yeah. Um, now he was on uh, Justice League Unlimited and uh, Young Justice. There's an episode called Humanity in the first season. I think it was episode 15, and that basically gave his origin. It was very, you know, it, it was streamlined, obviously yeah. for the cartoon, but um, it, it gave me the same kind of feels I got from this. So you can also play him in the DC Lego game. Oh, that sounds cool. Now I think it's a good thing that to let George Perez handle the the art on a Red Tornado story because he's one of those guys that can make those tornado things look really really good the speed lines that he uses and the way he layers them uh, it's also like like how he draws flash in motion is that uh, there's not many guys that, that do it the way the way that Perez does so I do like his speed lines uh, yeah he does it's almost like he was a little influenced by some manga there but. Uh, I will say this is in this issue. The artwork is very cinematic mm-hmm. and very dynamic. Uh, I well, love this panel with wait, go, let's, let's, let's go through it, I guess. Yeah. Let's look at the cover first. Of course, it's got red tornado at the bottom center. It looks like they're on the satellite and he's got both of his arms putting out vortexes and he's got basically all of the justice league, uh, you know, getting, getting thrown about. My my question is, who is the blonde-haired one under Superman? It's Aquaman. Aquaman. That's okay. It's Aquaman. Yeah. It was hard to tell. I I can see the orange now with the the chain and mail his, and his glove. Yep. Yep. And oh, Hal, Hal, green glove. Hal Jordan's rocking Did... the uh, Richard Simmons hair. <laughs> <laughs> Did Did Beatty do the uh, the inks on this? Because this looks a little crisper. Than the no, interior he, art. No, Perez did full pencils and inks on the cover. Okay, this looks more like I would pick out as Perez as a versus yeah. the inside stuff. Yeah, uh, it looked like Beatty did a lot of rework on the faces, especially, and it didn't work out very well as as, as far as I'm concerned. We'll get into that, and uh, you know, and uh, of course you you can see the obvious George Perez signature at the bottom right uh, under Firestorm's head. Yeah, it looked like a sh- uh, shadow of the chair. Yeah. Now, I've always loved Perez's take on Firestorm. Um, he he just Firestorm. made him always look really, really cool. And, you know, again, you know, <coughs> taking heroes in yellow costumes and making them look cool is uh, a special talent, <laughs> I think. 
Um, but which, you know, of course, Burns shares with uh, Wolverine there. Um, first page, of course, it, as Tim says, cinematic, where you see the satellite. Well, Go ahead. Before you move on, John, uh, I'm back. Um, Justice League of America was one of the books that I wasn't subscribed to. Um, but I was fortunate enough that it showed up regularly on the spinner racks uh, in my town. And uh, I, I, I love this cover. It was so cool. <laughs> um, yes. Red Tornado was not one of my most favorite characters. I thought he was kind of uh, boring. Uh, cool design, though. I love the, uh, the design of him. But I just, I guess I never really understood who, who he was. So I, I think this was... Uh, Finally going to, for me... Yeah, this is the book for you. You're the target audience. Put yeah. something in here and like, hey, you know, let's let's turn Ready in. Ready, because <laughs> that was back in the days when everyone yeah. had a shortened nickname. Um, but yeah, uh, what a great cover. And, and one of the rarities where uh, the interior artist was also doing the exterior covers. So yeah. Just weighing a lake awake at night, John, wondering... What is Red Tornado's story? I must Why know. Won't they Red tell Tornado. Me. What? Why won't they tell me? <laughs> he's he's basically Pinocchio with an evil Geppetto. And it, it, it was also he was it was one of the confusing things. It was sort of similar to Black Canary. Was she from Earth Two? Was she from Earth yeah. One? Why did she cross over? Uh, what's what's all that? Oh. Her mother was the original Black Canary. Now it's Dinah. You know, it's ready. And uh, it was just uh, a little bit too uh, too nebulous because back then <laughs> there was no internet. There was no Wizard magazine. There was no Wikipedia. And back issues were not easy to find. So um, it was hard to get those, those stories except for in the editor box with the recaps. So um, it was... Uh, I thought it was going to be interesting. I mean, how could you not want to pick this book up with that cool cover? Yeah, totally agree. And, and like I said, the inside doesn't disappoint. Like, like it was worth saying that the first seg segment in there is very cinematic. It is almost completely silent. As you see, you know, someone coming aboard the Justice League satellite, uh, you know, just going there, looking at the map, see where everything is. And then you see the main conference room and Superman and the league all talking about, you know, mundanities, things that, you know, whatever. Talking about how the UN's upset that they keep adding members and expanding. That's what every comic kid wants red tape. Yeah. Yep. But it, you see the scene where Red Tornado just keeps re approaching the room. You see it from his perspective. And I got to say, you know, the second page makes me think of a Keith Giffen uh, uh, artwork especially where Superman's concerned. Um, but I think that's more Beatty than it is Perez. But it's good that you can see all the, all, the, all the characters and everything on there. And then, of course, Tornado comes in and kills them, and you get basically a different angle of the attack you see on the front cover, which he's got basically the same characters on the same sides except for Firestorm and Superman. And I don't know who wrote that quest for genesis but it looked like he had his child do it that is oh that lettering yeah the lettering yeah level. yeah that that is very very bizarre i don't know if that was something that paris put in or if uh ben oda did but it looks like something that um who's that letterer for uh keith giffen and um 
uh, you know, they used for ambush bug. I think it was Bob Oxner, uh, Oxner. I can't remember his name, but um, yeah, that's that looks kind of weird. I want to ask some of the Justice League readers here. I read the issue before this just to kind of get get my bearings, and it had a completely different roster. Did they do that typically? They like from story yeah. to story, it have a completely group, different group of heroes. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they they would you know move move you know various ones in. Yeah, usually you would always see Batman, Wonder Woman, or Superman as part of what core team is going to be involved in the story. But for the most part, it you know the the, the other ones could shift and change. You know, you get Green Arrow and Black Canary. You know, Zatanna. Um, trying to think who else. That was the lineup of the previous issue. Yeah, Hawkman or Hog Girl. Yeah, Hawkman, Hawk Girl. They tried getting Black Lightning in, but he, he liked the Falcon. He didn't want to be the token player, you know. Yeah, yeah uh, the, at this time, this is called the Satellite Era, and yeah, the Justice League was basically kind of the same um, format as the Avengers core group, uh, which is basically the ones that you see at the the meeting table there. And then there were others who were official members or maybe unofficial partners that they would move in and off the table so that um, uh, to make the story interesting or or maybe one month, you know, something big's happening in Superman's book. So he wouldn't have been brought in or the story was was would just mean that Superman could just take everyone out. So they would just take them off the table and have them off world or see Superman 332. For details, yeah. you know, <laughs> well, which is basically yeah. what Superman does here. He's the only one that can kind of stand up to Tornado's hurricane or whatever this blast is. He's given him just walks up to him and uh, yeah, bl- uh, uses his super breath to take him out. Yeah, and Paris is, is at this point using the older Wonder Woman model in her, and I, I mean you can see in the face and such. Uh, if you compare it to like Crisis on Infinite Earths, this is the model he he goes with. He doesn't uh, do the update until, of course, post Crisis when he does his own Wonder Woman series. Um, but uh, still, in all, it's a good Wonder Woman. It's a good model for Wonder Woman. Now, when you're talking about group membership, the the group, of course, had seven core original members, and that, of course, is Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern. Um, Martian Manhunter, and uh, who did I miss here? Who did I miss? I left out one. Aquaman. And um, John Jones was known, but during the satellite era, they really didn't make a whole lot of use of him that I recall in any of the books. I actually didn't read a story about him until DC Comics Presents 26, and that was um, Len Wein uh, creating Mongol and starting the whole War World saga. But, uh, yeah, John didn't make very many appearances in Justice League until they go to the uh, get to the Detroit era, which at at this point in time, uh, I didn't care much for, obviously. But uh, going back with the core team and then going back to the the page here, like you said, Superman is one of those that's able to uh, protect himself. I like uh, Aquaman on the floor, and it looks like he's trying to swim through the uh, vortex or dive through it. On page four, it does look yep. like he's trying to. Looks like he's trying. To, I do like the the effect he's got in their hair. All their hair is is um, being mussed up and blown back. Yep. Except for Green Lanterns because he's behind his shield. 
and Firestorm is definitely uh, down for the count. And Batman, as Wonder Woman says, has gotten his shoulder dislocated. And this will play into conversation later. Um, and he's unconscious. But what Superman is- uses his super breath. What? Let's say this is before Batman had a, a solution to everything and, and had planned everything out. So, it, just before, before this, there was a storyline going on in the Justice League series where Batman was suffering incredible self-doubt because he had no superpowers. And it was funny because, you know, he would sit there and talk about how he can't do anything because he doesn't have superpowers, yet he was always the one saving the day. So it, it was just that, that, that funny thing. But they did, this, at this point, when Jerry Conway's writing it here, he doesn't bring it up at all in, in the storylines we see here. Now, isn't it interesting that Red Tornado is using, you know, wind power and everything against everybody, blowing everybody back? And yet Superman's super breath is what takes him out. Yeah, he so should have canceled it out. Given him the eye, eye beams. <laughs> Do you think that Paul Verhoeven read this and this is what inspired him to come up with a scene in Total Recall where Schwarzenegger's fake head explodes? <laughs> could have. Could have. That, yeah, I mean, you know, the Flash disarms him. I like that Firestorm is like, that's the grossest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and yeah, the the the... Yeah, it just says get ready for a, doesn't say get ready for a surprise, but that I love the Kirby crackle around Red Tornado's head before he explodes. And of course, the, the explosion itself looks tremendous. The is great with the speed lines. That I will say is very. Uh, yeah, you get a lot of motion. I mean, you get a really sense of of stuff going on <clears throat> in this issue. Then Superman using his super cape to protect everybody. Yeah. Now, of course, Flash gets, you know, incapacitated by this, and they put him in the back to tank. <laughs> Call it that. But it's, it's what, Thanagarian technology? Call it a protein tank or something. Yeah. Well, the I mean, the next page, of course, is Green Lantern doing his ex- examination of the materials and basically saying that in design, material, power source, and programming, this was the real Red Tornado. And then they go, you know, they get in the elevator, they come out, and, you know, the you know, there's another red tornado. So obviously he made a mistake. <laughs> but I love that scene also where, you know, the, the red tornado, you know, surprises them outside of the elevator and he, you know, does a, an attack on them. And again, great use of speed lines and the coloring, uh, putting him in that relief instead of just, you know, coloring and regu- the regular colors, I think makes it very cinematic. I think that's one and of once the again, panels. In this in this issue is that yeah them getting blasted back. I agree, I agree. And and again, this page like the first page has very little words and just mostly you know activity. I I just noticed the bottom left panel, if taken out of context, looks really bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna leave it at that. Gonna... <laughs> oh, Jordan, sorry. <laughs> Anyway, but then we see... Uh, <laughs> she puts it back with a snick. <laughs> What's that? Oh, oh okay. Oh, she's snapping well, his arm back. Yeah, and of course, that makes me think of um, the Justice League movie. And I'm not sure if it was the Joss Whedon version or Zack Snyder or both, where Wonder Woman had to set his arm in that as well. But that was a, a, a flat, it flashed me back to this when I saw that. And of course, Flash in the back to tank. Um Wonder Woman's got the hugest eyes ever at the bottom of page 10 after she resets his arm, his, his shoulder. Still a great drawing. Yeah. And then Tornado attacks them in the med bay, 
So Wonder Woman, Superman, Mary. and it's, it's like uh, Wonder Woman gets taken out by asphyxiation because he uses his vortex power on her. Superman goes after him, and he opens up his chest plate like Metallo, and mm-hmm. he's got kryptonite in there. And Superman's like, no, take it away. In the name of mercy, you're killing me. <laughs> well, this is when and, you get kryptonite at every uh, corner drugstore, right? Yes, <laughs> yes. Go and pick up yeah. a pack of smokes and a pack of kryptonite. Exactly. <laughs> but I liked it that it's the green light of kryptonite that actually stirs Flash in the tank. And he comes out right away, just grabs Red Tornado and throws him out the airlock, where he then goes out and explodes. And the speed lines on Flash is running. It's just there are very few artists that that that, that could evoke this very well. Uh, young Carmine Infantino in his early days was really, really good at this. Not so much in his later days. But George Perez just had a really good knack for it and uh, knocks Red Tornado out into space and he explodes. Red Tornado and, does have a very devilish look on his face there when he opens up the, the plate. Yes. But it makes me think of Vision. Mm. <laughs> well, they both have red faces, you know. So after Red Tornado explodes, you see the mountain chalet or lodge or whatever of uh, Tio Morrow, who basically has turned that entire mountain into his headquarters. And he's got a great telescope. Must be the same one that Luke used in that deleted scene from Star Wars. It looks the same. Yeah. (laughs) And then, um, you know, he goes down into his lodge and waggles the moose's horn to... As you you do. Yeah, to to get into the secret lair. Look look how much the inside of that that it takes, that building, because you get that, like, cross-section of it. And I always wonder who is it that's carving out the mountains for these, you know, villain secret layers. They have super villain construction companies that specialize in building <laughs> underground evil layers. Or did he have like like future tech that just did it all for him? Exxon. <laughs> or Roxxon. I like the fact that his bedroom is the elevator that goes down into the lair. And so he can impress the ladies. <laughs> that's what the green outfit's for yeah, he's gonna make the earth, <laughs> gonna matador make, outfit. The, make the earth move and on page 16 uh you know you see a real heavy use of uh zipatone with the dark coloring of brown there in that third panel it's real distracting for what is essentially dead space and then he's got some kind of droid now is in the first panel, is the droid putting off some kind of smoke behind it? Yeah. Like it's farting or something? Yeah, like a little pew-pew engine. But then as you go down to the lower panel, it looks more like it's got like tentacles and stuff coming out of it. Or is that a different one altogether? It's probably a different. Maybe it transformed. Maybe. Maybe. Future attack. And of course, as the villain, he has to put on his costume <laughs> and his cape over the epaulets, which... Yep. I thought yeah, you were supposed to be the those, showing. But then he covers them up with his uh, wonderful lime green cape. Yeah. Now, there's a logo or something on his chest that almost looks like a pair of glasses hanging from, <laughs> you know, like people wear glasses. The, the strings <laughs> holding on. Glasses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's it was like an like, infinity sign. That's what yeah, I it, thought, too. It probably is, but, you know, in, in the, the without without the cape, when you see it there, it almost looks like it's glasses. And so it's like I was sitting there trying to figure out what the heck that was about. 
And I want that. I can't read that. Let me put my cheaters on. Yeah. I want one of those, you know, plot device scepters that can do anything. Teleport them, take, you know, characters out, do whatever. Especially I love the the teleport effect where he does the whole circle in the air and it just creates the portal for him to go through. It's called he a does look a little Doom, Doom-esque, by the way. Yep. And you see we get the uh, the pointer back to Super Team Family 11, which is where the this you know normal looking I say normal looking he's in a green on green cape, uh, Maro uh, that was his last appearance, <clears throat> and then we segue on to Red Tornado who is playing in an apartment with uh, what, what's her name Treya and Kathy Sutton, mm-hmm. and uh, Kathy Sutton's face just looks so wrong. The fact is the faces in this in this next uh, page or so just look look really odd. But I do like the idea the idea that you know like the little girl doesn't want to eat because she wants to be like Red Tornado, and he sits there and shows her he's got to plug into the wall to to eat. Now, of course, that makes me think of the uh, episode of Next Generation called Hero Worship, where you had the kid that wanted to be like Data, uh-huh. and I'm wondering if that was inspired by this. But he, also, is he uh, 110 or 220? It looks like 110, but I tell you right now, the, her energy costs got to be re- – I would hate to see her electric bill, <laughs> considering the amount of power that he uses. You can't, you, can't even, you can't even charge a Tesla overnight on 110 or, what is it, like 8 or 10 hours. Yeah. How long does he got to sit there? And how long is the cord? Can he move from room to room, or is it only like 6 foot long and he's just stuck there at that table? <laughs> it's like he just moves it from plug to plug. <laughs> Good question. It's all of them, but that's is pretty it, cool. Still. That's not even grounded track. You think no, it is true. It's, it's not. Comics. And you know, again, yeah, yeah, because they don't even. That's an older apartment because it doesn't even have the grounded outlets. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's like from the fifties or forties, maybe even I'm, older than that. How many brownouts is he responsible for? Yeah, and he's a horrendous fire hazard. Yeah, well, Tony Stark did the same thing with his earlier Iron Man armors. If you remember, of course, he was always running out of energy. But the so next he, page, did, of course, is go ahead. Did he take the cable out from his chest? Yeah. Then yeah. why is it plugged in the back of his neck? It's oh, not. No, you I, can see I, it's sorry. draped okay, over yeah, his loop. chest. Okay. Oh, so yeah. You it's, saw it's, it so sneaking like, around. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it is like hardwired in. Yeah. I will say this yeah. Perez does a better job of jarring children than Byrne does. This looks like a child, not a yes. small person. Yep. Homunculi there. The next page, of course, is when um, Red Red Tornado starts uh, having trouble. He's getting the recall uh, from uh, Morrow. And I love, once again, the use of Kirby Crackle here, though sometimes it looks like musical notes, um, especially that top right panel. But uh, what I also like is the detail of the cord still hanging out of his chest. He's still, he's still plugged yeah. in. No, he's unplugged now. You can see the end of the plug. He ripped it oh. out. Oh, yeah, yeah, there it is. Yeah, but it suddenly got much, much longer. So I wonder what his range is when he's plugged well, in. Well, it it's probably like rolled up in there and, you know, or, or <laughs> zip line things that will, will spring it back and pull it in. You like know? a little recoil. It's like your vacuum like cord. A, it just yeah. stretches yeah, out. Or, or, or tape measure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but now here's the thing. The thing kind of got me nuts. Here we are on page, was it 19? Red Tornado goes nuts, flies off, takes off, goes out the window. They're like, what happened? I don't know. Heaven help me. I just don't know. Next page, maybe we can help. So there's the entire Justice League, Superman, 
Green Lantern, Flash, Firestorm, all characters that one way or another can move in fast, in, in, in super speed, and yet they don't think to chase them. They only got to conduct their investigation. Yeah. And well, they also what... all walked into the apartment and, and she didn't notice. <laughs> I mean, you can still see him in the last panel from the page before. I just don't know. Again, again, it's, oh no, he's been taken. Anyway, let's help yeah. you clean up, lady. <laughs> well, they, they didn't fill out the proper forms to pursue a uh, supervillain. So their charter says you have to stay and investigate first. Uh, I like Batman in the sling. So he's not like instantly healed from what happened. Uh, but Flash, of course, is, you know, up and about. But then, of course, he's, you know, super fast. Now, what do you think about this? I'm the supervillain. I've taken over uh, an abandoned restaurant and I will now lay out my evil plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's old school storytelling here old here at the you gotta, that, you gotta love that that's so and it's so much like the old james bond films you know uh where they would just have this elaborate lair and all this cool stuff it's just so much fun i love it <laughs> yeah and then of course he goes about his origin and of course you get to see red tornadoes he first appeared where he was red and purple now, this, of course, is the second Red Tornado, the original one being Ma Hunkle, which is basically a woman in an Irving Forbush costume. Uh, Google and Ma Hunkle. This time, by, and this time, Brian, no one knew who Ma Hunkle was. So I know, I know. It's little just, kids. My Hunkle was my favorite. <laughs> just kills me every time I see that. I mean, it really looks like someone put a pot on the top of their head like Irving Forbush. But I think she, you should bring her back. Days, she predates Serving Forbush. I think they did. But I'll, I'll, I'd have to Google that, look that up. So now we get to go through the, the, the original origin of Red Tornado. And I say original because things are going to change. Not everything is as you think it should be. Um, and we, we get, you know, the, the Tio Morrow's uh, history where he talks about having to disappear. And whoop, 28 days are up. And yeah, he disappears. But you find out that there's... Two of them, the uh, the one that carries around the scepter, and then the future man. Shades of King and Immortus. Yeah. So it, it sounds like that the writers of the various ones, Super Team Family and in, in, in the World's Finest, weren't really on the same page, and continuity got mixed up. And Len Wein and, and uh, Jerry Conway just said, let's fix this and explain it, you know. Is that Give Elongated a, Man or Plastic Man? Uh, uh, what page? The bottom left. 22. It's elongated. 22. Yeah, yeah it's elongated. elongated. Yeah. From, from the, the earlier Ralph story, yeah. Dibney. Yep. And you can see, oh, you can actually see Green Arrow and Black Canary yep. in the panel above, two two panels above. And there's Hawkman. And then on the next page, you see Supergirl, the Atom, and the Flash, and that's from the Super Team family story. And they defeat and put him back in prison. And then, of course, the world's finest story with the future man version. And I, I like I read that one when it came out. Um, but I like how he cleans the table off when he's done. He just taps his scepter to it and boom, it's gone. It's disappeared. <laughs> so he's like he's got some butler in the future, 100 years in the future. And he says, yeah, make me this Italian dinner. And then, poof, it appears in the past. Right. It's kind of like the house elves in Harry Potter. Well, it reminds me of Teen Titans Go, where Raven creates a portal and she throws all her trash into it. Oh my god! <laughs> to this planet, <laughs> just aren't, aren't they uh, going to get angry? <laughs> who did she bash? Uh, 
Oh, Beast Boy got stuck there. I think it was Beast Boy. <laughs> Trash mm-hmm. and junk just kept raining down. And he's like, stop it. <laughs> oh, so, you got you got to love the huge veins, by the way, in his forehead. Just gives you that sense of like, that thing must just pulse. That's an Excedrin headache in the works yeah. right there. That's what that is. That would be a, how would you maintain eye contact? All you'd want to do is stare at the bulging vein. Yeah. <laughs> now the, the next page, of course, is the last page, and is he, you see is it, he related to the leader by chance? Do you think? <laughs> I don't like think so. Or Hector like Hammond. Hector, ha- Hector Hammond, maybe. You'd think he'd be <laughs> easy to take out. You just one little scalpel cut right to that that big vein there. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh, gross. <laughs> the uh, the next that, page, of course, is the last way. page. And, um, of course, he's still giving him his uh, evil plan. But, you know, you can see in the bottom two panels someone coming up out of the water because they're on the the waterfront. They're on the docks where this restaurant is. And it's obvious Aquaman is coming out of the water in darkness. Yeah, the the restaurant's on the docks because you got to give Aquaman something to do. Yep. But that's kind of cool seeing him come out of the water. And you're like, all right, Aquaman's going to kick some butt. Wow. I think it's uh, going to find out. Now, if you guys are looking at. I was just thinking the same thing. This is very reminiscent of Triton coming out of the water during the Kree Scroll War in Avengers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Great storytelling techniques these these artists had back then. I mean, just so so cool. They must have flipped some lights on in the restaurant. (laughs) Suddenly, there's just so many cool elements here for me that I loved. Like, Back when Reddy went crazy uh, on that page, uh, the artwork was just so good. I always loved when the whenever they would do the uh, like the yellow outline of the face that they yeah. have there. It's not the full thing, but you just get that sense of the action of that being um, of him doing that. And then that little bit of a detail there where you see in the shard of glass, uh, Reddy uh, Red Tornado. Um, uh, the reflection because you're looking at um, them in the room, them looking out at him, and then but in the shard of glass, you see the reflection of him going away. It's little details like that were just uh, very much like what Perez would do that made this piece interesting, um, but that you many others probably wouldn't think about, which was really cool. The one thing that's funny about that image with the yellow on it is that you can see behind it is red tornado and he's kind of covered by that little bit of machine there mm-hmm. but he looks like the red skull because <laughs> yes. of the way the lighting is on it and he's got yeah. like these bright white full teeth you know full mouth of teeth and you just don't think of an android having you know like that having a full mouth of teeth for whatever reason you just it seems weird but yeah very yeah. red skull terminator had teeth yeah true true, true. he yeah. in this upper right panel where he's kind of going nuts and he's got like the lower part of him is the tornado that's how he's flying throughout the, when he was doing this it reminded me of um this may be beyond <clears throat> david's um knowledge but have you ever watched a cartoon called mighty heroes the oh, uh, tornado yeah. man dun, 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 dun. they had diaper man strong man rope man diaper man diaper man yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, he was the leader he was the smart one <laughs> And uh, Cuckoo Man. Oh, that's right. Cuckoo. Cuckoo. All right. <laughs> um, going Cuckoo here. Uh, 
I was also looking at the hostess ad. Now, it doesn't show up in the CBR that we're using, but I did give you guys a link to the hostess ad because it is a Plastic Man um, hostess ad. And uh, it, of course, has got, what's, what's the guy's name? Woozy Winks telling Plastic Man that there is a, uh, a dinner party where they're serving gold for dessert. And so he wants to be on the lookout for a lot of greedy characters. So Plastic Man goes up and, and forms himself into the uh, rolling tray that goes out to serve the dessert. And a guy comes in and steals it. And he goes, I'll take that. I want all the gold in the world, you know. And he opens up the lid and it's Hostess Twinkies with golden sponge cake. And so Plastic Man just turns into a motorcycle and wheels a guy off to jail. Because <laughs> the last line is, please, no jokes. Let me enjoy Hostess Twinkies cakes and a last taste of freedom. Literally. Now, I, I pulled this this image from Mike's Amazing World, and um, he's got a full index of all the hostess ads, which I find interesting. The only thing that that uh, bothers me is that you don't it doesn't say who did the artwork on those because we we know that Byrne did like a Hulk um, uh, hostess ad. And we've seen that one, but I don't know who did the artwork on this one. It's probably the the guy that normally did Plastic Man. Was that Al Plastino or was he the writer? I'm just not a Plastic Man kind of guy, you know. I think it's probably one of those things that everybody just took a turn, you know. It's your, it's your turn to draw the ad. Yeah, but it, it's definitely more stylized. Now, the thing is, most of the hostess ads are so house styles that like when Byrne did the Hulk one, he worked very hard to not make it look as burn like as you know he normally would because they did the pencils and the inks themselves. So I thought that was that was interesting. I've got the the, the one for the next one in there. I'll send you the link for that once we get there. But I just thought that was um, interesting uh, a little bit of history there because it, the plastic man in there is kind of a departure from from normally because you know he's just got that silliness factor and the character woozy winks is a is a very caricature of a person rather than a comic book artist idea of a regular man you know but um the the guy that tries to steal the thing looks like a cross between dick york and uh dagwood from uh, the blondie comic strip okay does anybody have any last oh, one last thing i did have to say uh the letters page if you guys didn't look at the letters page You'll see that I think the third letter down is from Little Russell Burbage, which we've seen all around uh, on our network as well as on the Fire and Water Network. And this was actually his second letter to be uh, published. First one uh, was a couple issues before where he was just, you know, um, talking about the greatness that is George Perez. And here, of course, he's a little bit more, uh, but he's talking about Don Heck and Frank McLaughlin working together. He didn't necessarily like their stuff, but... He thought they uh, did a, a pretty decent job on the issue of Justice League, though he doesn't name which issue it was. But, you know, shout out to Russell Burbage. A letter from 40 years ago has once again shown up. Hmm. Brian, did you... And now on to Justice League of America 193. Well, <laughs> real quick, Brian, did you... Nope. When you were running down the nope. information, did you cover nope. what Byrne also drew this month? Nope. Or not, you know what i did but i nope. uh, you know what i did not but uh actually i can pull that up right now because i have that i asked somewhere. that only because on in the letters page where it says lens lineup it mentions teen titans number 
nine, and I think he did the work on that. Okay, this is Justice League 192. So this is April, yeah, April of 81 is the way it's listed here, Quest for Genesis. He worked on two te- New Teen Titans number nine, like puppets on a string, um, and that's it. Those two books where he was penciler. Now, shall we move on to the next one, or do you guys have any last thoughts on this one? No, I think we can move on. All righty. Now, uh, I will state that uh, I did get the synopsis for that last one off of the DC Wiki. Um, this one here, that their synopsis was so small, I actually got this one from comics.org. Um, because I, I felt that these stories were so detailed, I just didn't want to try and... and create a synopsis myself I, I don't think i would have been able to relay all the salient details properly maybe i could have but you know anyway uh this saved, saved me some time so this is uh justice league of america 193 published by dc comics cover date of august 1981 on sale date may 7th 1981 uh cover price 50 cents again this time the page count is 48 and we'll get into that in just a moment Um, The title of our story is Secrets of Genesis. It's 25 pages. Features the Justice League of America, written by Jerry Conway, penciled by George Perez, inked by John Beatty, lettered by Ben Oda, colored by Carl Gafford, and edited by Len Wein. This is reprinted in Justice League of America by George Perez, Volume 1 hardcover. And the synopsis goes like this. Aquaman stealthily approaches Tito Morrow's secret lair. Aquaman, I'm going to abbreviate some of this because he keeps saying names over and over. He eavesdrop on Tio Morrow's insidious plans for Red Tornado, having heard enough. He storms Tio Morrow's lair. Though taken by surprise, Morrow is quick to retaliate with his power scepter, incapacitating Aquaman. Encasing him in a crystalline sheath, Aquaman is left to die, while Morrow teleports away with Red Tornado. Firestorm the Nuclear Man, the Flash, and Superman scour New York City in search for the Red Tornado. Flash discovers that Morrow is no longer incarcerated in Central City. The Green Lantern arrives carrying a po- the possibly dead body of Aquaman, much like Scotty did in Star Trek II with his nephew. <clears throat> the question is, why didn't he just take him to the satellite or a hospital or someplace? I don't know. Anyway, Morrow dissects the Red Tornado, unexpectedly releasing a powerful blast wave of energy, destroying his mountain lair. Aboard the satellite headquarters of the Justice League, Wonder Woman feverishly works to release Aquaman from his crystal coffin. When Firestorm, the nuclear man, voices the hopelessness of Aquaman's situation, the Flash takes him aside. The Flash chastises and reprimands Firestorm for his insensitivity, a sentiment echoed by Professor Martin Steen. And for those that don't know, Martin Steen is uh, Firestorm's uh, inner uh, partner. The two of them, Ronnie Raymond and Professor Steen, make up Firestorm. But Professor Steen is only a voice in his head when they're firestorm. He has no control. Wonder Woman cracks open the crystal coffin, releasing copious amounts of steam. She activates the emergency sprinklers, flooding the medical bay with water. Aquaman, barely conscious, confirms that Morrow is her adversary. The League confronts Morrow. Listening to Morrow, listening to Morrow's heartbeat, Superman learns that Morrow doesn't know where or what has happened to the Red Tornado. Morrow gets a drop on the League, though, with his power scepter. But before he can take advantage of the situation, he is attacked by the Tornado Tyrant. Morrow's violently rendered unconscious, 
and the tyrant targets the Justice League of America. The Green Lantern makes a tactical mistake on the battlefield, resulting in his and Wonder Woman's defeat. The tyrant strikes down the Flash, then Superman. Firestorm is poised to attack when he is stopped by the tiny tornado champion. The champion reveals that this, it started its existence as a tornado tyrant. Defeated on Rand by Adam Strange, the tyrant came to believe that good was stronger than evil and would always defeat it. Observing a conflict between Adam Strange, the Justice League, and Kanjar Rowe, the champion decided to emulate the Justice League of America. The champion then transformed an alien world into an exact replica of Earth and transformed itself into the Justice League of America of that Earth. The Tornado Champion's evil side manifested as Tornado Tyrant. Defeated by the Tyrant, the Tornado Champion engineered a conflict between the Tyrant and the true Justice League of America. The JLA triumphed. Learning from their victory, the Champion defeated the Tornado Tyrant once and for all. Journeying to Earth 2, Tornado Champion happened upon Tio Morrow, who was building an android killer, the Red Tornado. The Champion inhabited the inert form of Red Tornado, losing all memory of itself. Firestorm the Nuclear Man is astonished to hear that the Red Tornado is actually a living being. Firestorm uses his atomic restructuring power to rebuild the Red Tornado, trapping and fusing the Tornado Champion and the Tornado Tyrant once again within the Red Tornado's body. Firestorm decides to keep the true origin and nature of Red Tornado to himself. Red Tornado recovers with no memory of the last several hours. The end. Everybody got that? Because there's going to be that's a quiz some, later. That's some crazy storytelling there, I got to say. Um, the whole Tornado Tyrant, Tornado Champion. I mean, you know, these are definitely stories that came from the Adam, Adam Strange stories. And uh, it sounds like Zany Bomhaney kind of it, stuff. Yeah, I didn't go back right to see. Right out of Silver Age. Yeah, very, very Silver Agey stuff. But still, I like the idea that. The, the, that's the element that got in there and that, you know, the tornado tyrant and champion together make the consciousness of red tornado and don't have, you know, any idea, you know, they, they lose themselves in him to become this one person. But it almost in a way makes me think of um, Avengers 200 where here you've got Firestorm making this unilateral decision. Well, let's just, you know, cram it all together, and I don't know what story he told the rest of the league because he had to say something. Oh, yeah, um, they, the Tornado Tyrant just disappeared, and Red Tornado came back. Everybody's happy. Waddle. <laughs> What'd you guys think? Well, this was kind of messed up. This was the first one that I read uh, before I backed up and watched or read 192, which seemed to have more of a blueprint. This yeah, one this... refers back to the two uh, robot assaults up on the satellite. And I had no idea how long in the past that had occurred until I read the, the prior issue. So, mm -hmm. you know, you've got to read the two of them together. Otherwise, it really doesn't make sense. That was my mistake, you know, because when we first started talking about doing this, I was just going to cover one issue at a time. And so I just sent you guys that one. But then I realized, oh, shoot, no, you really have to have this one with it, which is why we're covering both together. This is just some serious retconning that yeah. has a lot of exposition, a lot of dialogue as to what's going on, and it just resets itself at the end. The, the, the tornado tyrant looks kind of cool. For I mean, I guess it's the best way you can draw a living tornado. Yeah, agreed. I I couldn't figure out what in the world the power was. The best image of it though is the front cover. That's what I'm thinking. 
yeah it's now and then since we get the front cover here we'll talk about the uh the page count now like i said it was a 48 page book but only 25 pages of justice league the remaining pages is actually uh, a free 16 page comic the introduction of the all-star squadron by uh which uh, i know rich buckler did the uh, artwork which is gorgeous buckler and giordano and then um let me see who wrote that I think so. I think so, but I've got to get to the right so page. So does that 16-page extra backup feature, does that make this particularly collectible? Because I think I've seen this cover reprinted in uh, Comic Buyers or the uh, Overstreet as an insert, and I could never figure out why. What, what made well, Kirk, this it says cover. right there on the cover, instant collector's item. For the oh, PC. God. Whenever they oh. do that, then it, then it guarantees it's not going to be a collector's item. I, 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 I'm going to guess right now it's probably going for 15 bucks uh, at the most right now. Can anyone uh, you know Google and, and see? And yeah, that was Roy Thomas. Now, Roy Thomas and Rich Buckler both get uh, writer and co-creator um, credit. Four. And Jerry Ordway did the inks on that story, too. So... Um, Again, you know, that's that's a different thing. We're not going to cover that story other than what we just talked about here, but I had to bring it up because of what it was. What do you guys think it, of that up-the-nose shot across from the splash page? Very Gil Kane. Well, that, that's something that George Perez liked to do. If you read the Teen Titans, he did that an awful lot. I, I, I've never had a problem with it. I got, you know, I've gotten accustomed to it. I do like the um, the shading that they put on it, though. Because it, it gets a very Neil Adamsy, yeah, very much, yeah, look, uh, look to it as a result by using that in there. Because Adams used to do that an awful lot. It's kind of like how Gene Colon used to um, shade as well. Yeah. Okay. So I'm I'm looking up that book uh, to see how it how it's selling, and I was about right. I, I see, you know, individually anywhere from twelve to fifteen dollars. Now there, of course, is a slabbed one with a 9.6 that they want $82.88 for. Now minus 35 for the cost of actually getting it slabbed, and that tells you pretty much, you know, 50 bucks. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's not something that has gone up in value, which is sad because this is really, you know, it's one of those things that's supposed to give the true. Uh, origin of, of Red Tornado and All Star Squadron, which you know, awesomeness. But doesn't Red Tornado get retconned a few years later? Well, you know, his it's wiki page. The uh, and uh, again, this is all pre-crisis right here, and so uh, the last we hear of Red Tornado's history was during Crisis, because there was a sequence where Red Tornado had gotten dis disassembled. And Firestorm is the only one knowing the truth, and basically he has to go in and try to save the day there. I was trying to, to look up that earlier while we were talking, but uh, I didn't find which issue that was specifically in. But uh, yeah, in Crisis on Infinite Earth, thanks to George working on it with Marv, uh, was able to you know include that bit of, uh, of information. But anything that happens post-Crisis, I couldn't tell you. I don't know of any Red Tornado stuff from after Crisis. I don't think. I don't think new. He's not in New Fifty Two, and Rebirth if that came out. I don't think he's currently in the comics. He's got a footprint somewhere. Otherwise, why would they have him on Supergirl? Okay, so looks like it's the uh, 
I think it's the same issue that Supergirl dives. Nine? Is that Flash? Uh, no, this is the one where um, Flash beats up Psycho Pirate. And, okay, no, this is the one Flash dies. Okay. Yeah, the one where Flash dies, not Supergirl. At least part of that storyline does go on with the Red Tornado being disassembled and exploding all over everybody because he's a tornado t- uh, t- uh, twin. So I guess we'll call him that. Well, let's get back to this book, though. And again, look at, looking at the art. Now, of course, we were talking about how beautiful the uh, the opening image is on the cover, which is truncated, uh, shrunk down to make up for the banner for the uh, All-Star Squadron insert. And so it, it takes art like George's and always makes it look even better when it's shrunken down, um, though it can get muddy depending on who inks it. With George inking it, though, it looks great. And it shows the entire Justice League attacking him and Superman even flying through him. Um, except Aquaman's not there, obviously. So you've got Superman, Green Lantern, Flash, Wonder Woman, and Firestorm. So no Batman either. But then again, at this point, Batman's just dead weight. Now, on the first page, we go back to the end of the last issue when Aquaman was uh, coming out of the water and he had a very cinematic-looking Aquaman in the dark, stealthily coming out even though water's dripping off of him. And he's listening in to what tomorrow talking about his insidious plan. And, of course, on that second page, you do get to see another undershot from the face. So you even see that even though Red Tornado is an android, he's got a little bit of chin waggle there. Chin waggle? Yeah. What's that? That's that extra bit of skin on your chin. That, oh, you know, okay. You know. a, a, got it. The second chin, yeah. a double chin. Yeah. Now, the third page, um, of course, is where Aquaman starts to come in through the window where he says, that's all I needed to hear. He crashes through the window, and unfortunately, Morrow gets a drop on him with the scepter, and uh, just an in- incredible image of Aquaman being blasted out of the restaurant uh looks like back towards the water with all the kirby crackle and everything around him and a nice vavoom um and but he that's a very, something he's casing yeah. like crystal or something some, some crystal stuffing yeah ice uh it's it's not ice we find out later but he, he goes in the water See, if that was ice it would just float he would float on the surface he could break out of ice i think but and and but he's shrinking down um so then morrow takes tornado he does another circle to teleport them away, though he does it um, sideways rather than up and down. It's pretty. Yeah, it's cool. And then the bottom panel makes me think of New York and almost like a, a, a chopped-off Baxter building. Yep. And then, of course, we see all the rubble and everything in Kathy Sutton's apartment. Wonder Woman is holding Treya. And Firestorm is cold chilling on the Lazy Boy. Yeah. He's doing a Riker there. Um... Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a Riker could, move, isn't it? They could re- at least help pick up. <laughs> well, you can just like Green Lantern do it. Use that ring, just and yep. cleaned up. A little flashy clamp. It's a nice fi- uh, detail because Annette's that uh, scene where all the rubble is, you see the Rubik's Cube on the floor next to a doll. Yeah. That later, Flash picks up. And starts mm-hmm. to use. And of course, the that bottom left panel where you see the Flash running up the side of the building. And he has to come in through the window. Now, there's a problem with that, though, because if you look in the top panel and you see the window, you see the window is up like two feet and there's broken glass all around the, the thing. So unless the flash vibrated in. I think he's vibrated through the wall. Yeah, he must have vibrated through the wall. Yeah, because otherwise he would have 
because you see the speed lines go all the way down to the floor. So he had to he had to have vibrated. And George has been very good with the continuity. So Batman in the bottom panel still with the sling. And I get okay. So Kathy's holding a different doll. It looks like a cross between the the face from Saw and um, the clown from It, Pennywise. <laughs> Depending on which panel you look at, in the top panel looks like Pennywise. In the bottom panel, it looks like the guy from Saw. Uh, it's Raggedy Ann. Ah, uh, yeah, it's creepy though. Okay. And well, then that nice. Go ahead. So say what's creepy is the is the on page six of Superman flying in through the window, and it looks like his ribs are protruding from his chest. I mean that is, I know it's supposed to be, his arms are up, but that's anatomically yeah, that doesn't look right. A little weird, that's for sure. Hmm. But yeah, that does have that good panel. The ups uh, looking at Superman's nose, his nostrils. Zipatone. He needs to shave. Very good zip a tone there, yeah. And then this is where you see Flash messing around with the Rubik's Cube. And the next page where Flash throws the cube up in the air, goes and checks, you know, the, that Marl's in jail and sees that his cell's empty. And then he also says, yeah, while I was in the, the, the prison, I was checking the records and found out that Marl vanished from his cell two months ago because of some bureaucratic staff who we were never notified. And Firestorm wants to ask, you know, the Flash, did you really do all that? And they're like, Dude, this is the Flash. Why do you think they call him the fastest man alive? Wouldn't he have figured yeah. that out by now? But this he is does coming have from that panel. whose hair is on fire. True. True. That panel taken out of context could be real high roller. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, no, they 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 never show if Flash actually did solve the Rubik's cube. Oh yes, they did. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The bottom bottom yeah. right panel. That's right from the page before. And then, of course, down here in the bottom panel of page seven is when Green Lantern comes in, breaks up the party, and shows them that, you know, you know, Aquaman is encased in crystal. I do like and when then, Perez is doing Green Lantern, that he, he tends to do the scenes as being bathed in green light when he's using the ring. Yeah. Yep, that's pretty cool. And then back to the Rocky Mountains, to uh, Morrow's chalet, and you see that Morrow's putting Red Tornado up in some form of suspension. Lovely Kirby, Kirby Crackle coming from the uh, scepter. And then he just starts to dissect him, which is, I mean, you wouldn't see all that kind of like tech. I mean, it, it almost reminds me of, of burn tech um, in all the openings that you see, but just, you wouldn't see all that because it'd be more like hydraulics and, and other things to allow the body movement rather than, you know, circuits and transistors. And then we go back to the justice league satellite. Now, why is, Wonder Woman, the one trying to get him out. Why is Green Lantern not trying to do it? I mean, I understand that the the Amazons she's, have have she's more using, because she's using the purple ray healing and the science from the Amazonian science, so she would know how to use it. Not not uh, Green Lantern. Yeah, but how could just simply okay, let's you know get him out there and keep him on life support. At least that's the way I would think of it. It, it, it. Green Lantern gets a lot of short shrift in this issue. He he he's he is treated like an idiot in this issue, but I really do like you know when you're looking at Wonder Woman doing it you know drilling into it or whatever, and you can see through the window the others watching, in that sharp relief the the gray relief that they did the coloring on, on on both these issues is really really good, and then the bottom panel look at how Superman is looking at Firestorm when Firestorm is saying 
he must have been dead before Green Lantern found it. Because, I mean, Firestorm was just being a true idiot in this moment. Well, you can see Flash is getting um, oh, yeah. back there, too. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Now, are you were you guys very familiar with this version of Firestorm, the original version? Not, Not at, all. at all. It was created by Jerry Conway and Al Milgram, if I remember right. And the thing is, is that Ronnie Raymond is not your typical superhero uh, character because Ronnie was quarterback of the football team. He was just a, a, an actual, you know, athlete. He was the jock. And of course, Professor Steen was, you know, a, a scientist, a nuclear physicist. And they were caught in a, a, an explosion at a nuclear plant that caused them to fuse together to become Firestorm. It's Stein. Yeah, Stein. <laughs> potato, potato. But, I mean, the thing this is... This is the is that, Firestorm I, I knew. Yeah, and this is the Firestorm that I like. But it, he was always different from the other superheroes. And the other yeah. superheroes, like your your Peter Parker or whoever else, was always having to kind of play... You know, not necessarily the tough guy, but more often than not, had to play the wimp. And yet here, here's the jock actually having to be the superhero. But he's kind of a dumb jock, right? He's not supposed to be that bright. It's it's Stein that's more of the, it's his guiding, uh, more kind of the Jiminy Cricket on his shoulder. Yeah, right? whisper in the ear. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't and say he was, he was dumb. He just, he's kind of that reluctant wouldn't say reluctant hero but he's he's not a hero by choice right um you know and and he he's supposed to be the counterbalance to to stein's you know intellect right right you know they're kind of the the yin and yang so i, I always like thought that captain marvel and rick jones <laughs> yeah. yeah i don't know which one's the smart one there yeah <laughs> But I like that. Young man, I'd like a word with you. <laughs> and he dresses him down really, really good. And what's even more funny is that after he dresses him down and tells him, you know, until you learn, you know, what it is to be a leaguer, you suggest you keep your mouth shut. And then Professor Stein says to him, you know, you mean well, Ronald, but sometimes you carry the brash youth act too far. And Roddy's like, you don't think I actually do this on purpose, do you? <laughs> Boy. No, nobody that, can, whole, nobody but, can see Stein, right? He's just in his head, no. right? Yeah, he's just in his head. Okay. But, you know, the thing is, getting conversations like this wasn't something I was accustomed to in DC Comics, except for in Teen Titans and here. But as, you know, guys like Len Wein and Jerry Conway and Marv Wolfman started working at DC, we started seeing a more marvelization of the stories and more of that kind of um, background stuff going on a lot more than you used to see before. It used to be just go fight, boom. More of a flawed hero. Yeah, definitely. Um, anyway, so the next page shows a really weird Zipatone panel up at the top, colored in a, 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 I guess, burgundy. Gosh, that's so weird. But Ronnie and the professor, while we find out that um, Wonder Woman's cut through the uh, crystalline, the crystal. And all of this steam is coming out, so she has to get the uh, sprinklers going, which is on the far side of the room. But she, so she has to use her lasso to pull the handle to get the, the sprinklers going. And that turns into a huge deluge. I mean, that's just like three inches of rain inside of five it, seconds. It fills that room up pretty quick. She's yeah, like, I mean, you could, water. you could drown in there if you're, if you're not careful. And this is on a satellite, right? 
What happened to Aquaman's little kiddie pool that he would get into that was on this satellite when he needed to? Well, it's on a different himself. level somewhere, I'm sure. But, you know, he, of course, wakes up and, you know, tells them weekly that it was Morrow. And so they then go and somehow know exactly where to go to find him in the Rocky Mountains. Um, and then you have to go past the insert. And then he says, I don't know what happened. Then he grabs the scepter and blows all the Justice League down. I mean, all of them are out except for it looks like Superman's still standing. But this is the point when the tornado tyrant makes himself known in a full page. Um, and I love the, the, um, the prose here. Portrait of a man going mad. Thomas Hascomaro has never been what one would call a particularly stable individual. No one who seeks power over his fellow men really is. Frustrated by failure, humiliated, humiliated by defeat, mocked by the contrariness of his own creation, Tio Morrow has been pushed to the brink of insanity. He now slips over that brink as he is forced to confront the incomprehensible. And of course, that's where you see the tornado tyrant attacking him. I read that in a Ron Serling voice or Rod Serling. <laughs> yeah. Portrait of a man going mad. And, you know, the next couple of pages, of course, are battle with the tornado tyrant. And he basically wipes up the league. And he's able to somehow siphon the magic power from Wonder Woman's lasso to overpower Superman. That's why I felt this was very Silver Age, because that seems, you know, Silver Age stories were, you know, the villain or hero can do whatever needs to be done to to get the job, you know, done in the, in the, in, in the story. So I, him... I do like that imagery on page 20, though, where Superman's body goes into the mountain and turns it into a butte. Because you see, he goes in there and the rocks go flying off behind him. And then the top over what was on top of him just He's comes crashed, crashing yeah. down. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of action in this uh, on these pages. And that's just what Perez excelled at was those those these action shots, which is so cool. Like back on 17, where, where Superman is shielding Firestorm with his cloak. What On page and, 19, what is Superman screaming? He says, by Rhea. Rhea? Rhea. 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 That, that's, that's the god, the Kryptonian. Oh, yeah. it's Rao. 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 Just like that spaghetti sauce you can get at the grocery store. Exactly. It's wow. very expensive and doesn't taste that good. That's just my opinion, though. I could be The wrong. Order of Rao was a big part of the Krypton series. Yep. Which was yes. amazing, by the way. They, they, he does exist, and Superman eventually does meet him, by the way, and goes to battle and finds out exactly who he really is. Uh, it's a good is that, story. Is that in current comics, David, or is that... Uh, well, past. current is in like five years ago. Okay. I thought they'd stayed away from all that, that Kryptonian mysticism. They move away from it and then move back when they run out of ideas. And they say, yeah. oh. Now, down on the bottom left-hand corner of page 20, Firestorm is uh, distracted by the tornado champion. But that one image of Firestorm, it, it what is the all the stuff that's around him? I, I, it's like trying to show surprise or... I think he's just being startled, yeah. We've seen this before. I think Bob Layton used something like that in uh, the Ant-Man uh, issues of uh, Marvel... Or the ones where John Byrne did the, the Ant-Man story with Dave McLaney. But it's I think that's what I saw that. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I don't know if he's got to be influenced by that. Hmm. 
But this is where we get the recap from the Tornado Champion of you know his life and times with Adam Strange in Classic Mystery in Space Volume One, and uh, we learn all this crazy Bob Haney type stuff. But what it boils down to is that there's two tornadoes, the Tornado Tyrant and the Tornado Champion, that all came from the consciousness of the Tornado Champion. And so the two, you know, he beat the Tyrant and absorbed him and then jumped into the body of the Red Tornado Android while Morrow was building him. And that's what gave him the consciousness that he now has. And I assume his Tornado powers. I mean, no, no, he had tornado powers from, you know, the, the android has the tornado powers. I'm assuming that, you know, they enhance it somehow. But yeah, that's a good question. The, the temptation, because the robot was called Red Tornado, the temptation was too strong to resist, so he had to merge with him. Yeah, well, he was already accustomed to using humanoid forms because he became the Justice League himself. So I don't think he'd be surprised in that. But I don't know. It's kind of weird. It's odd. But... Sorry, Brian, keep interrupting you. This, no, sorry. The, the flashbacks with Tornado in his old costume, which looks like it's all red and purple, mm-hmm. that looks very Vision-like. That belt looks like the Vision's original kind of belt. He has a high collar. Um, that's, uh, yeah, fact of the matter it. is that on page 23, top right panel, it's all in white. And if he didn't have the cape the way it was, not the cape, but the the top part of the cape the way it was, that would look like the Vision. Yeah. And the swashbuckler boots. The way I kind of thought of it was he's the tornado is like an elemental, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and he had an opportunity to, to take a human shape because he respected, you know, from his time with it. Adam Strange, you know, came to respect and revere the Justice League and what they stood for. And, you know, we skipped over the part where he's telling, you know, Firestorm uh, on 22... And so I used what I had learned to crush my evil self for what I thought was forever. I learned something else that day. Uh, I discovered that I would never be happy as only an uh, imitation superhero. And so I traveled to Earth, too. So, again, I think that's where, you know, he, as an, again, in my mind, as an elemental, had an opportunity to take a shape and form that he found appealing and you know, could be then hopefully become part of the Justice League. Interesting. But unfortunately, once he meld, merged with Red Tornado, he lost his memory. Mm-hmm. And yet Red Tornado did become part of the Justice League. Huh. Uh, like on page 24, uh, all the rubble, the argle bargle, so to speak, um, as Firestorm goes back to find Red Tornado's body. And that head that he picks up looks kind of small in the middle panel. <laughs> But he merges them, and whoop, all of a sudden, there's Red Tornado, and he lies his butt off like he's on Sigmund the Sea Monster. Because, you know, if you ever watch the 70s TV series Sigmund the Sea Monster, the, the, the moral of every story was lie to adults. That's the only way to get away with life. Lie to the adults. It's because adults won't understand. Yeah. But I like the fact that, it, you know, that they portray all this stuff happening at night. And so that you've always got the dark background. I think that helps add to the story and makes it look nicer. Well, it looked when you first get to where they're fighting the uh, when you first see the tornado tyrant that big splash page. For some reason, I guess it's because it's got the moon so big in the back. I, I felt like they were on a different they were on a planet, not in the Rockies. Right. For some reason. Yeah. 
Well, the Rockies are closer to the moon. True. Kidding, kidding. A little bit. Cool. But, but you know, the, the the I wind up with this question at the end is how? Do, what does he tell the league? How does he get them to believe <clears throat> whatever story he tells them? Or does he just you know say no? I woke up and Red Tornado was there and the thing was gone and that was it. I I think he could say I used my my powers to recreate Red Tornado, which he did. And Red Tornado used his tornado powers to defeat the tornado tyrant, which in a way he did. So it's kind of a, a soft lie. Yeah, yeah. All in all, though, I really enjoyed these two issues. Um, I think the art is just, you know, I mean, obviously with John Bader doing the inks back then, um, there are some downsides to it. And I, I don't necessarily put all the blame on Beatty. Um, again, you know, this is five years into his career. So it looks like he's got, you know, figures and everything down. The faces still seem to be something that's in play. But uh, again, just, you know, as far as Justice League goes, this is Justice League greatness in my mind. I know there's some crazy parts of it, but still, these are two books that I read so many times that the original copies I have are just like all rolled spine, you know. Couldn't get 50 cents for them if I wanted but they gave me a lot of enjoyment. That was a, you know at the time when you you know you just got whatever books you could, and you kept reading your favorite ones over and over, before you started developing huge huge collections. Well, I think this this kind of falls in line with what we've talked about before many times that, you know this, there are some, uh, more mature elements in the story, but it's not weighed down um, with darkness. You know so much of comics right now you know and i i blame it on uh what's his face uh i don't know the guy that went off the deep did batman batman returns miller miller yeah kind of set comics on this this path is dark path for dark and gritty exactly you know and everything is doom and gloom and um you know kind of changed the whole industry uh these comics are they're fun you know, they're just fun. You know, everything's going to work out. You know, the characters stay true to, you know, the personalities that we've all come to love. Um, so it's, they're just fun, you know? And yes, I can totally see you rereading these because it's just fun. And it should yeah. be, that's what they sh- it should be entertaining. And they've got enough, like the same with the flash and uh fire storm. That's, you know, that's not super heavy, but that, would give a kid a little bit of a, a lesson there. Uh, and there's some, uh, you know, other themes in here that might, um, you know, give, give a, a kid some guidance, but to your point, David, it's, it's, it's just a fun read and that's what it should be in the end. Yeah. And they're not beating you over the head with, you know, morality or any of that stuff. Like you said, it's good. It's kind of, they're, they're, they're sneaking it in there, you know, as part of the story. Well, uh, Brian, I'm going to ask you this since you're our, Seem to be our, our, you and John are our Perez experts. Um, well, maybe you too, David. I don't want to count you out. If yeah. they, if there was a quintessential <laughs> JLA, uh, would you call this the quintessential Perez JLA story? Or is there another one? Like if I wanted to read some more, what would you recommend? Oh, golly. There are there are so many good ones uh, during that run. But there was a, a one specific issue um, and I've, I'll have to sit there and look up what the which one that is, and that's where Felix Faust comes in and attacks the Justice League. Like he blinds Zatanna, he makes Superman really old, 
Flash overcome with grief. Ralph just uh, a goofy, you know, dimbo. Uh, you know, basically he attacks him with a tarot deck. And um, it's just a really, I mean, it's just, you know, a one and done kind of story. Uh, but it just, you know, exemplifies everything that's really cool about the Justice League. In fact, yeah, this I... is a real cool image in there where, where Clark Kent is at a, uh, like a state fair or something with Lois Lane. And he's gone into this fortune teller's um little tent and she's like asking him questions and she goes are you sure you want to know the secret and they show clark kent in relief and his glasses with just a little bit of glint off of it and he's like yes and it's a very powerful image even just for a, a clark kent kind of thing i think um a couple of issues later you're gonna uh there's um uh, which one am i there's a really great one where the cover has the secret society of supervillains uh, and yeah. they've got the big monitor and they're crossing off so it's all of these uh characters getting together uh, the secret society supervillains to uh, take out the justice league that's a really good one and then even a couple of issues later is the jla jsa all-star squadron team up which was a five issue crossover between the all-star squadron and the justice league great yeah, the storytelling thing, there as well <laughs> the thing you have to remember with the justice league comics is that virtually every year they would do a crossover with the justice society mm -hmm. and yep, so right. that that's what gave us you know the uh the the apocalypse new genesis the uh, bringing back dark side and it gave us also the the, the death of is it mr terrific yes the murder of mr terrific um, the one I was talking about that's just a one and done story. That's uh, issue one ninety four. So right after this one so is, is next a, issue. Okay. Destiny is a stacked deck, and uh, but I mean you know he wasn't on every single issue. In fact, his last issue was two hundred. Um, and and I then he know. went into he did covers for about another two years or so. Uh, so the the story I was talking about is one ninety five and one ninety six. It was a really great two parter. Yeah. Yep. Now, um, oh, and one ninety-seven uh, three-parter. <laughs> I did yeah, I, send you guys a. Go ahead, David. I was just going to say, if you haven't read Crisis on Infinite Earths, I mean that that to me is it, it involves every hero, but it's really mm -hmm. a Justice League story um, of them all coming together. Yeah. Um, you know, fi there was a final crisis that he did. Uh, was What's it what, Legion of Three Worlds? Is that? Legion of Three Worlds, yes. Uh, it was, yeah, it was, that. he had never done the, the Legion of Superheroes, and this was his opportunity. He had done covers for them, but he had never done any stories with them. So this was his opportunity to draw the Legion of Superheroes. And then he had to draw three of them, three teams. Yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, well, that was actually it, a really good one. Now, the, the thing is, I, I've started this, you know, as this year, and, and we'll still be doing some John Byrne books, but. Throughout the year, we're going to pepper in some George Perez. I did mine right here, so I hope each one of you guys can yeah. pick a book or books that you want to cover, yeah. and we'll we'll be able to to do that and give it the the third degree burn, um, you know, microscope. So Tim, also I would also recommend the Logan's Run adaptation mm -hmm. because I think he was excellent on that five issue run, and his Fantastic Four work was great. His Avengers work was great. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's a, there's a lot of good stuff to, uh, to get. His, his FF. I've got the Logan's Run, but I don't know if I've sat down and read them. Um, My son just bought one. those for me. Oh, nice. Sit down and watch those. Yeah, read those. 
But you know, of course, obviously, I only got the first five issues. I didn't get. Yeah, the, I don't have the one that's the know, Thanos story, and yeah, just weird. You don't need them. <laughs> okay, I just sent you guys a link a few moments ago, and this is the Hostess ad for this issue. Now, this one here is actually a reprint ad. It was initially printed two years earlier, and so they recycle them uh, often. But this one is a Green Arrow story. And there's a cable car, you know, that's lifted up above the, I guess, a river. And uh, the lines start breaking. So Green Arrow sits there and shoots a whole bunch of grappler arrows around it, suspending it in the air from, you know, the, the starting base and the one of the towers. And then to placate the people inside who must be scared, he shoots Hostess fruit pies on his arrows. So, so apparently Green Arrow's got fruit pie arrows. Which I think is actually more effective than like a a, a, a fist arrow, a boxing glove arrow, you know. <laughs> you know, Kirk has been really, really, really quiet. He has. Are you there? I'm here. Yeah, you haven't mentioned much during this issue, or the I mean, you meant you you did talk about you know the fact that I goofed and sent you the wrong, the second one first. But you know, <laughs> did you have much to say about this beyond that? Uh, I think it's more dearly loved from your childhood than I think it is uh, as the merits of a story. And I'll give you an example. J. David Weider did a series on Daredevil and Daredevil guest stars in um, Fantastic Four 39 against Dr. Doom. And then the story pays off in 40. I never had 40. I never had that, but I had 39 and I read it to rags as a kid. So much so that as he was doing his podcast, I could be driving and see in my mind's eye the exact panel that he was describing yeah. and the emotion that it would evoke. And I came to realize it's not that it's that terrific of a story, but it has a treasured place in my, my memory in my childhood. And resonates, therefore, resonates. you know, it resonates with me. And so, you know, I, I think a lot of that uh, passion or that, that uh, warmth, Familiarity is is uh, at play here. That's all. Hmm. Not to be critical of it. It's just you know my my initial question when you sent one ninety three and I looked at it was why is this so important? What what is it about the story that is? Yeah, is you're so right. It's good? it's important to me. Right, and I think and, that's, I, and I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, it changed everything, Kirk. Yeah, and, and I think it did. If you were following the background and, and Red Tornado and all of this, this was an important game changer for those of us that were Marvel fans. You know, when they changed the, the origin of the Vision and made him the Human Torch, it was like a what? You know, that was a pretty important turning point, but only because we were more familiar with that character and the, that storyline. In fact, um, you know, there's some comparisons, as we already touched on, between the vision and uh, being an android created by a villain and set against the Avengers, you know, comparing that to Red Tornado being created and uh, set against the JLA. So, Well, they both have the same convoluted kind of backstory because the vision later gets retconned by Burn himself uh, to changing his origin. He's no longer actually... The Human Torch. He's right. And so, so this only exists until the next retcon. 
and somebody else will come back and everything. change it to conform to their head canon. So, you know, I appreciate that it lives in the memory that it's important, but, uh, uh, you know, good, good artwork, yes. Great artwork, I can't go there. I do appreciate some of those things and some of the flavors like the Neil Adams and the the uh, the, the cinematic uh, openings and the, the dolly shot in to, to the meeting room from the last issue. Yeah. Well, it'd be interesting to me to, uh, and we, we could probably do this with Burn too when, when we uh, pick up our next Burn book, but kind of bounce back and forth these both of these gentlemen had such long careers you know in comics um you know the i had to look up the final crisis legion on of three worlds because i couldn't remember if it was three but it's a fi- it's a five issue uh series and it's you know it's I, I keep hearing the uh celine dion in my head it's all coming back to me now <laughs> uh so i'll give a little snippet of it because it'd be interesting to compare his style you know, here to something he did. And I, man, time goes by so fast. I didn't realize uh, Final Crisis was in 2008. Um, but kind of look at his how his art evolved between, you know, uh, the Justice League books we just talked about and and uh, the uh, work from 2008. And I, and I remember this being a really good story, uh, mainly because it's got Superboy Prime in it. And if you're not Kirk, are you familiar with Superboy Prime? No. Now that's the Superboy that was in Crisis on Infinite Earth there at the very end. Mm-hmm. He was there with the Earth Two Superman. Um, this is this is the, the, the you know he's uh, yeah. a twisted version. Yeah. Of Superman, he's he's a really bad dude. Um, so just take everything about Superman and flip it to the flip the evil switch up to ten. But he's more power. He, 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 on his world, DC Comics exists as comics, correct? Because uh, back then, the yeah, Earth Prime, Earth so. Prime was was supposed to be our Earth, right? And uh, then, of course, you know, in Justice League, they introduced a character. I think his name was Ultra, who was supposed to be the only superhero from Earth Prime. And then, you know, Superboy came, and obviously, at that point, it no longer was our world. It was a different world altogether. But still, they called it Earth Prime. Is he one that that was in prison and he punched through yes. time or broke time or something? Yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> I think we have a podcast on this network that's named after that punching reality <laughs> punching. Yeah, some yeah. some people really like the Superboy Prime character um, just because of how much of a good foe he is um, for just about any of the super teams, you know. Um, so I think that'd be interesting. I mean, I'd be up for that. It's like I said, it's five issues, um, but uh, yeah, I remember it being really good. So it'd be interesting to see again because I think um, John, you had made the comment about you know Burn and you liking his older work versus his newer stuff. Um, you know more, um, kind of do the same thing with with Perez. Now, did they lose the rights to Superboy? Did they have to take him out of the DC universes completely because somebody sued and they realized that they didn't have the rights to him? Well, that no, was he... the Siegel and Schuster family did um, apparently get the rights to Superboy. Yeah, and he's still around. Yeah, in fact, uh, Jonathan Kent, there was a series uh, that brought 
him and Damien together uh, called Super Sons. That was really, really good. Yeah, a lot of talk about Jonathan lately if you're watching Superman and Lois. That's not my Jonathan. Yeah, I know. But hey, it is somebody's. Hey, when it was the Dukes of Hazzard that became Jonathan, I thought, you're kidding me. But then watching his performance, he's good yep. in uh, Smallville. I mean, up to issue or episode 100, uh, when he leaves the series, really fine job. I was very impressed. Yeah, I always liked him on there. A lot better than what he, he had a lot better material to work with than Kevin Costner got. Um, <laughs> we'll say that. No, well, yeah. uh, let's let's ask our, our our listeners though what they think though. Um, you know, we would obviously this is our first foray into the land of George Perez, and we've got you know more coming to you as the year goes on. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it and would like your feedback on it. You can write us, of course, onto um, our Facebook page, Third Degree Burn, or you can email us at gotta get burned at gmail.com. Or you can uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, formerly iTunes. Um, or you, you could uh, call us. Uh, I think we got an 800 line somewhere, don't we? Oh, no, 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 no. That's, that's, the, that's the original guys. The cop lore one. I always thought that was funny. We did not have an 800 number. Yeah, but we really would like to hear from you what you think of this. What, uh, you know, um, hopefully you appreciate what we're doing as much as, as, as we're enjoying doing it. Um, and I'm looking forward to uh, covering some other ones. I mean, there's so many that I alone would like to cover. I, I'm, I'm really curious to see what the other guys do come up with. And who's going to grab the next one? Obviously, it won't be our next episode. We're at least going to do an, a one more burn book before we come back to George. So it gives you some time to to think about maybe and, and uh, claim it as your own. Well, I think we could possibly ask, uh, as, a, as a non-Perez Reader, I, I don't have a lot to recommend, but we might put that out on Facebook and ask what would they like to cover, and maybe sure. get some suggestions from them. Sure. That's All right. Good idea. Well, is there anything else? Are we covered? I think uh, we're good. I think we've done a good job of uh, our first uh, our first uh, special edition we've done here. Yep. Well, I just checked, and the toll free number one eight hundred get burned. Uh, it's working. <laughs> that's not us though. that's not us though and you know if you get charged for something like that we didn't do it and we're us. not your parents we didn't give you permission all right just go to our lawyer group <laughs> um i i'll be appearing on what well, appearing I'll, I'll be uh heard on an upcoming episode of is it jaws actually two uh hero hair metal hero paul and i were discussing the stallone movie cliffhanger and um, also, uh, a week later, we did the James Bond movie, uh, Timothy Dalton's first, The Living Daylights. So, you know, keep a lookout for that. I love the show, Is It Jaws? Um, even listening to movies I've never watched. So uh, it's always fun. Anybody else got anything coming up soon? Uh, oh. No. I mean, I'll, be guest, I'll be appearing on this show again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As of yet, I have not been invited on other shows. Yeah. Yeah, only Brian gets to do that. No, John's been on those shows. John's been on Back to the Bins, where they they did that Logan's Run coverage. Yeah, that was oh, fun. Right. Yeah. yeah, don't don't throw me under the bus or over the bus or around the bus. So. I I think it's you can't you have to kind of ask, hey, can I be on a show? I don't without being pushy. I think you can you don't 
if you sit around and wait for somebody to invite you, that may never happen. But... No, I want an invitation. I think Brian's just mail. being proactive. Uh, yeah, I, I've been kind of reaching out. I know John's been writing a lot to uh, back to the bins and other shows. So I mean, here he was at least. How did you get? How did you get on that? Did they just one day say, "Hey, you want to talk about this?" Or yeah, they reached out. Uh, I had written in on a couple of the episodes because you know Logan's Run is one of my favorite series, uh, and it's my favorite adaptation of a film. So I just really love the film, and I wrote to them and uh of course they had pretty much had everything done by the time so it was just like the last one they were recording for they're like oh come on on for that and i'm like okay that sounds like fun um so i understand you did so well that they've invited you to to guest host on all the the future ones for the rest of the series yes i get to i get to do all of the uh uh, regular i'm a regular um co-host of the logan's run uh show on um Two two three two two That's three. Great. So wait for those to come out. All right. <laughs> it's you. Anybody got anything else? Yeah, um, just a small one. I've been listening to on the two true freaks. The uh, t- um, Tune Trek is what they're referring yes. to. It's the animated series, and I've got to tell you, although you know they're they're kids' cartoons, let's let's not polish it too much. But the crew coming back to continue. Uh, talking about Trek, I've got to tell you, Dr. Bill was in rare form this week. He <laughs> just killed with some of his jokes, especially on the Harry Mudd uh, episode. So if you haven't been listening to it, guys, it's absolutely worth it. I'm unfamiliar with the material, but it's a highlight of my uh, my week whenever those issues, those episodes come out. You've got to listen. Yeah. They, they are really good. And I've, I've got a, a soft spot for Star Trek, the animated series. So I, I look forward to those coming out each week. Uh, you know, they, they definitely have an affection for them, even though the, you know, they're, they're very limited in what they, what, you know, the, the output was. Cause you're going from an hour live action show to a, 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 you know, half hour, and in this case, 22 minutes of animation. And it is as low rent as animation could pretty much get being the filmation stuff from the seventies. Yeah, and, uh, I think they try to keep it from being a kiddie show. It's not right, as right. mature as, as as the TOS, but they try to do something a little different. It's not your typical Saturday morning fair that they were putting out. Yeah, and the, the the sound quality has interesting moments. It's like, you know, guys like Shatner actually recorded their dialogue into a tape recorder at home. Yeah, I don't think any of them are in the studio at the same time. They all just yeah. did their their stuff. All initially and, made. And Scotty did every other right. voice that they didn't James have, Taylor. you know. Yeah. Magil Barrett did all the females, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. I wanna... Well, guys, I got to get going here soon. I've got okay. um, some family responsibilities to deal with. And I know some others also had some, uh, uh, some hard stops. Um, Tim, do you want to take us out or did you have one last thing to bring up? No, I was just going to pimp Andy Andy Leyland, who does a, <laughs> a phenomenal show all the time anyway, but he recently ranked all the James Bond films. And it kind of yes. an extra long episode for him, and that was extremely enjoyable. So if you're into uh, his show and James Bond, I recommend it. You know, I, I, I've been wanting to listen to all of his stuff about James Bond, but I've had to hold off because I've not yet had time to watch No Time to Die. And every show that he's been putting out, Palace Glittering Delights, whatever, he starts talking about that, and I have to stop it. Yep. So I'm like, ah, I can't listen to this. And so, yeah, it's frustrating. <laughs> So I got to sit down and watch that movie. You do? Yes. 
I'll take I'll take us out since I brought us in. Right. I'll, I'll take us out. I want to thank, thank everybody for listening this uh, so far to our special show. We got more of these to come. I hope our burn fans won't be too put off that we're covering a non-burn book, but we thought it was kind of important and it's something different. So we could always cover action six hundred. <laughs> for thirty three yeah, burn, uh, I am Tim Elliott. I'm John Ryan. And I'm Kirk Greenfield. And, and so is David. David. Good night, yeah. Governor. And I'm Brian Hughes. I'll, I'll say it again, you know, because I'm just that kind of guy. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Have a great week. For listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T W O T R U E F R E A K S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three R D D E G R E E B Y R N E and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn spelled with the number three and Burn spelled B Y R N E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn.